When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and you're listening to my podcast, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. In this episode, I sit down with one of my favorite psychologists, Dr. Nicole LaPera, and we're going to discuss all about childhood trauma and how this shows up in our life throughout our life and as adults and what we can do about this. Yes, we can change our mind to change our brain to deal with those childhood traumas and change how they play out into the future. But before we begin the episode, I'd love to ask you to take a few minutes right now and subscribe to my podcast. It would mean the world to me. And keep sharing your favorite episodes and key takeaways with friends and your family and on social media. And don't forget to grab a copy of my new book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, available on Amazon at Target, wherever books are sold. And if you send a confirmation of your order to my team at info at drleaf.com, we will send you a copy of the downloadable workbook for free. And now, on to today's episode. Welcome, Dr. Nicole LaPera, a friend, a colleague, a brilliant person. I, I, I love you. I just think you're phenomenal. You have taught me so much. I learned so much from you. Your page is an inspiration. You're an inspiration. Your story is an inspiration. And you've just released a book, which I am probably first in the queue. I got the first PDF copy, I'm hoping, or one of the few. I'm waiting for my hard copy, but congratulations. Welcome. And thank you for joining me on the show today. Thank you, Dr. Carolyn Leaf. I'm just so honored and smiling ear to ear when I hear you say that because you're such an inspiration to me. I see such alignment with our work and I just love every opportunity we have to collaborate. I agree with you. And when you and I get going, we don't stop. We could just talk all day and it's just so beautiful. (laughs) Watch it. Yeah, we're not on the clock now. We we are on the clock. We're not on the clock. We keep going. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And for I know I know everyone knows you, but if you don't mind, just just give us a brief intro, who you are, and then and why you wrote the book. Mainly focus on why you've written this book. Can you hold up your books? I don't have the copy here. This is okay. This is phenomenal. Doing the work. I love that because everyone in this fast technological age, everyone wants five steps quick fix. Everyone wants, you know, three steps quick fix. What's the quick fix? What's the pull? You and I talk a lot about how you've got to do the work. So what a brilliant title. Tell us about the book, why you wrote it. What was the inspiration? Yeah, I'll be the first to admit too that that quick fix model was very, very alluring for me for a very long time. And I come from a family who very much did look for the quick fix, did look for the thing outside of ourselves to make us feel better, regardless of whatever it was that we were feeling uncomfortable with. So I'll be the first to say that you know I'm guilty, quote unquote, uh, of trying that that approach. And I came by this work actually through my own journey of healing after years of being in the system, both as a, a client myself 
struggling with lifetime anxiety, lifetime OCD symptoms, panic disorder. And then obviously sitting on the other side of the couch as a trained clinical psychologist, several years into my practice, I started to feel very disempowered. I started to come to realize that I, as a human, was struggling myself to create change. I was essentially cycling through these negative habits Mm. and patterns, despite increasing amounts of insight and awareness about myself. And of course, despite all of the book knowledge, right, that I was trained with in school of how to help others to heal, I came to realize that I wasn't actually creating that change in my life. And then furthermore, possibly even more disturbingly, I came to see that same disempowerment in my clients who, again, despite progress or felt progress week after week in session, were not able to, as I say, build that bridge and actually utilize insight into creating action change. So from that really low place, I dove into research. I, I sought to really understand why. Why why isn't the field operating in a helpful way? Why is no one really getting better? And I began to understand several reasons why. I began to shift the way that I was working from a, a focus on the mind as we, you know, traditionally in the field were taught, you know, I was a minister of talk therapy. If we do change our thoughts, we change the way we feel and act to really understand that there are other actions, that there is a more holistic way that we need to address the human experience. We are a mind, we are a body. I believe that we have an essence, that individuality that makes each of us in our uniqueness. And until we begin to honor how all of those parts play a role in either our stuckness or our healing, we're going to remain disempowered. So when I came to understand this holistic model of wellness, my first step was to go online, to find a space where I could begin to share some of these new realities or these new truths, as I call them. And very quickly, as I began to share my own journey in healing, I was met with how universally resonating some concepts, first and foremost, I should say, how universally resonating the stuckness was. Yeah. Uh, Seeing humans now around the world that were, you know, still that were stuck, that were unable to create change, just like the humans in Philadelphia, right? Where yeah. I was working. So now I'm saying, yeah. okay, like this is quite universal of a problem. So mm-hmm. many of us are struggling to create change in our life and are feeling disempowered. Um, and then, of course, I, I found the resonance to be such a motivator for me, understanding the limitations that Instagram and all social mm-hmm. media would ultimately offer, which is you know, you get a square, you get a caption. And I really wanted to unpack this topic of holistic wellness in the most comprehensive way. So I was very gratefully offered the opportunity to write it in a book style form. And I've been on this book writing journey now for for almost two years. So I am just so ready for the work to live in the world to get into the hands of those who are on their journey to meet the work. Oh, well, that's a beautiful story. And this is one of the most important books that people can get their hands on, because if we don't sort out all those issues, we don't function as humans. I mean, this is, we just, we function in this broken way, in a broken world, and we just contribute to brokenness and our our uniqueness, that essence that you talk about. I love that you call it the essence. I call it like the wise mind or this, I describe it as the the strip of beautiful green trees through the middle of our mind. That's just perfect. And if we don't, if we don't activate that and, and work with our messy minds with that, 
we don't give to the world what only we can give. So I'm so grateful that you've written this book because you do unpack something that's extremely complex, but that's extremely everyone, everyone who's alive, who's a human is a mental mess to different extents since the beginning of time. It's not something new and you're giving us a beautiful way of understanding that and really unpacking it and dealing with it. And so I want to thank you for that and encourage people to get this book. It's just, it's phenomenal. You are phenomenal. There's so many things that I want to ask you and I've got some questions, but I know we end up always just discussing everything. But just to, to start off with, you have some very very interesting titles of your chapters in the book, which, you know, I love that. I always, look, I love to look at where they disappeared now. I had it all open here at the chapters. I love that because looking at a, gives you the big picture and you start with the dark night of the soul and then you end off with the pizza box in your epilogue. And I find that fascinating. If you don't mind, I know that's a funny way of starting a question, but for me, that's kind of how I work. You started off somewhere and you ended off with, with that. So I'd love you to just unpack the beginning and the end, and then we can play around with a bit of the middle, but I love that. Uh, absolutely. I, I want to build on what, what you're acknowledging and essentially what you're normalizing, which is the messiness of us all. Because in that stuck place, I think a lot of us carry a lot of shame. We begin to indulge those, those ideas that we are broken, right? That certain life experiences, fulfilling relationships, you know, finding our purpose and our passion and living that into existence. So many of us begin to believe that that's not for us, that that's not going yeah. to be part of our journey. So I love how your work, very similar to my work, really normalizes that and says, yeah. no, there's very real reasons why we're, we're stuck in the ways that we are. And you also embedded something very beautiful in what you were just sharing, which is, again, I think we share the same, the same yeah. belief in that we are whole. You come here as full and as perfect and as really purely connected to, I'll use my language, that essence. Yeah. Um, however, we become stuck, just to wrap this all together, as a result of our past experiences. Exactly. So I kind of paint this picture of an onion, right? We have this perfect full being that based on an accumulation of life experiences and all of the ways that we adapt, because we're incredibly adaptive, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. our brains, as you and I just spent talking, yeah. about your beautiful new book um, really shows how life affects our brain. We begin to become conditioned. All of those layers of that onion begin to form. And then we begin to operate what I call outside of alignment or in misalignment. So mm, I love started that. my book with the, the first intro into my own healing journey, terming it the dark night of the soul. Because the simple way that I, I know maybe listeners have heard of that concept, might be a little unsure, mm. or might think it's a little woo-woo, what the hell is she talking about? The simple way that I, as I often simplify things, a dark night of the soul for me is an accumulation. It looks quite mm -hmm. individual. For some of us, it's the physical symptoms. For others, it's the psychological, the mental, the emotional, the lack of fulfillment in our relationships in life that result, in my opinion, from that misalignment, from not being authentically connected to our needs in any of those areas of being that make us human, our physical body's needs, our emotional body's needs. And the large majority of us, while we all do have that deeper intuitive essence-ness space, intuition, a lot of us like mm -hmm. to call it, we can't find our way there. I love that. Mm -hmm. So it is the dark night of the soul. I enter with that. I wouldn't have described, you would have, if you would have spoken to me as I was nearing my 30s, which is when mine began, I, you wouldn't have heard me saying, oh, this is my dark night right now that I'm going through. I actually had no idea what I was yeah. going through. And in the beginning, I actually entertained quite real issues. I thought, oh, I'm going through something physically wrong with me, a, a medical issue, or mm -hmm. I'm going through something. Here's my panic coming back again. Mm -hmm. I'm going to mm -hmm. have another five years of panic attack. Ah. Great, right? 
So I wouldn't have used this language at the time, though I now understand that 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 is what that is. Our soul, our essence is in there. That intuitive Mm. space never goes away. Though those of us, the large majority of us that are disconnected and that are operating in that state of disconnection do begin to accumulate symptomology. So like you said, the symptoms, the anxiety, the depression, that screams to the surface and they're messengers. These are three. (laughs) I'll use use the props as you call them up. I'll use the props for you. (laughs) Absolutely. And that's what it is. And for so long, we begin to, a lot of us identified with that. We become, as you beautifully said, the issue. We become the stuckness. We become the depression. And what this work is about for me is to, again, send that relief out there for those of us that are entertaining those beliefs to acknowledge that we aren't broken, we are whole. And of course, I make a particular intentional effort throughout the book to translate the concepts of each chapter. So once we enter the process of healing, we begin to talk about my my foundational steps to create change. So I speak conceptually in each chapter and then And then I offer the practical, the how do I build a bridge, the how do I embody this tool in action to prove, to begin to walk the journey of healing back again to that alignment. Mm, That's just, everything you say is just so beautiful. When you talk about that essence and you talk about everything you've just said is just so manageable in terms of understanding what we're trying to be as humans, that drawing back to that essence as you call it and i and, and the, the, the analogy i use is the forest you know that our unconscious minds got all the forest all these thoughts that we've built from our experiences and then what what i always explain is the essence that you call the essence i call that strip down the middle of the forest which is that perfect part of us that wired for love in, 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 in biology we, in, and in brain neuroscience we talk about the brain and the body being wired for love and we talk about the optimism bias in psychology that's the optimism bias which is this joy and it's basically survival it's basically love it's basically getting back to that inner core wisdom that keeps us alive and keeps us operating in the, and and what when you said there that we, we get so stuck in our emotional pain that we can't see the essence the way that I've been describing that is that there's so many of these trees blocking the access to that inner wisdom that we can't see the wood for the trees. I mean, we just get so stuck in these, but we can get over that and you teach that so beautifully. Your book is so filled with wisdom and and the practical steps are fantastic. The practical side, the way you've applied it, it's so essential because there are so many psychology books and self-help books out there that are filled with quick fixes or so much theory that you don't know what to do with it. And it's all great theory, but what does it all mean? You know, and I love how you've taken those concepts, simplified them, and then turned them into realities for people. So then you end off with the pizza box. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that too. Because I love it. Thank you for acknowledging the longevity of these tools, right? It's not about using them one day, two day here yeah. and there, white knuckling it. It's about integrating this new way of being. So very intentionally, the book is titled How to Do the Work. Mm-hmm. Um, really honors the daily actions that we have to you know, create for ourselves to shift into change. So speaking about optimism um, and getting, of course, to the pizza box, I that didn't old me, past self me, if you will, definitely didn't resonate with being optimistic. I actually, for a long time, wore the badge of a realistic pessimist. And I would say, I'm realistic. This is just how life is. Again, I came from a family that very much had not the optimism bias that you know we're all born with. So the negative, the negative attribution bias, always looking for a threat as a lot of us do when we're stuck in those cycles of anxiety. So for decades, Carolyn, optimism was nowhere to be found in my life. 
And I have a very pivotal moment that I was sharing with my partner as I began the healing journey, as I created these changes, as I integrated these new steps into my life, as you share in your research, structural changes began to lay down in my brain, even unbeknownst to me, because I wasn't yet feeling better at this time yet. I was having a very conversation with my partner, Lolly, and I don't even know what we were speaking about. So I guess the way I was sharing whatever I was sharing with her in that moment, she looked at me, her jaw dropped open and she goes, oh my God, Nicole, I think I see hope. And that she goes, and I, I don't know if I've ever seen that in your eyes before. And that for me just was so moving. I didn't yet feel hopeful. Like I said, hope was absence. It was absent. Like was absent. Didn't have it. Yeah. Optimism. It wasn't part of your psyche. It was just <laughs> be there because my mental mess, right? All of my my trees or my structures yeah. were wired not toward optimism, though toward negativity. So for me, that was really poignant. And now I would go ahead and say is that a lot of changes structurally have happened in my brain. I've done the work and I continue to do the work each and every day to continue to create those changes. And now for me, optimism has become, I've returned back to that resting state where I can be in reception and receipt of the moment at hand. So the the final chapter, the epilogue titled The Pizza Box, it's really about a quote. It, It references back to a quote that I met when I was pretty low. I was in my 20s. And my anxiety, my panic was at an all-time high. My mom was suffering from pretty severe heart issues. She had had a pretty major heart surgery. And I had a lot of fear around her death, around losing her at that time. So I was, to say the least, a mental mess. Use your language. And I met a quote. I was walking by a museum. And there was a quote on the wall that said something along the lines of, "Life life is lived in moments. And I was so touched by that. I was like, that is so interesting. Life is moments. And I loved quotes. So I went back to my office and I did some Googling. And when I was trying to find the, the author of that quote and just a little more information on who he was, the word moment, I think, pinged on Google this concept of mindfulness. And at that point in my 20s, I discovered this practice of consciousness and the, pre- the power of the present moment. And intuitively, I was like, ping, 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 something is really important here. Though to action that, to begin to practice living consciously, like many of us, I didn't. It was uncomfortable when I began to stop and and become consciously aware of who I was and how I was in that moment. All I felt was the anxiety and it was overwhelming. So it wasn't until years later where I began to actualize that change. I began to look at why I struggled to change based on, you know, I learned something new. Why can't I go do something new? It took many years before I began to understand why I was stuck and then to begin to apply the principles of change. And when I began to apply the principles to create change, like I was saying, I changed. I began to see incredible shifts embracing consciousness as my daily way of being. And in doing that, actually allowing in feelings like optimism, like, well, I first should start with presence and then allowing in optimism and joy and all of the other stuff that we can receive when we're fully here. Mm, I love that. This episode is sponsored by my go-to snack company, Monk Pack who makes snacks that taste like our favorite sugary treats, but with one gram of sugar or less. Healthy snacks have a bad reputation. And let's be honest, most don't taste very good, they don't fill you up, 
and they certainly don't satisfy your cravings. Monk Pack Keto Granola Bar contains just one gram of sugar, two grams of net carbs, and they're only 140 calories. They're great for anyone following a keto lifestyle, but also the perfect snack for anyone who's trying to eat better or cut back on sugar and carbs without sacrificing taste. I always keep a few bars in my bag or car because hanger is a real thing. I also love having the almond butter chalk chip one a few hours before my workouts because it's easy on my stomach and gives me so much energy. Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars have a soft and chewy texture and come in other delicious flavors like coconut cocoa, chip, honey nut and blueberry almond vanilla. In addition to being keto friendly, the bars are also gluten free, grain free, plant based and non-GMO with no soy, trans fat, sugar alcohols or artificial colors. They taste incredible and you can't beat the low sugar nutrition or taste they provide. And by shopping online, you can avoid another trip to the grocery store by getting Monk Pack delivered right to your door. Try it for yourself and you'll see. And we have a special deal for our listeners. Get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting monkpack.com and entering our code DRLEAF at checkout. And Monk Pack is so confident in their product, it's back with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So, if you don't like it for any reason, they'll exchange the product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. To get started, just go to monkpack.com, that's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com, and select any product. Then enter the code Dr. Lee for checkout to save 20% off your first purchase. The link and offer details will be in the show notes. You've touched on so many profoundly important things. One thing you said that was it took years. So people need to understand that this is a lifetime. This is a lifelong journey. I mean, both of us are in this field and both of us keep admitting that we battle with mental messes. I mean, as, as you said, doing the work, my book, cleaning up your mental mess. I mean, this is, this is a, a normal thing, but the difference, what, what you say a lot. And I also say a lot is that we both own it, but we both know what to do with it. That's the, that's the, that's where I've changed, Nicole, in terms of my journey is if I think back to myself in my, early years 20s and younger and even my early years of my marriage and I was in the field already but I I was so clinical that I didn't really apply to on a day-to-day level it was so clear in therapy on these really severe situations and only then sort of started clicking hey this is something I can use and that as you say that 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 sort of the realizing the work realizing that we have this autonomy and realizing it's going to take time is so important but you speak about consciousness in a way that I love and that consciousness element in terms of when we talk about consciousness people always think in mindfulness we always think okay i've just got to think of now i mustn't think of the past and the future but our minds are always going and they're always traversing the past and the present and the future they time travel so your mind never doesn't time travel so when you talk about consciousness you're one of the few people that really also explains that consciousness is being aware in the moment of self it's more self-regulation it's actually showing up for yourself what am i thinking where's this coming from so it's not like you obliterate the past and you obliterate the future it's that you actually now training yourself to self-regulate and see what am I doing in this moment? What am I doing in my relationship? What am I, how am I functioning? And as you say, you had to be present first before you could do that. So, and, and until that, until it, st- it starts there, if we keep looking for the external antidote, that thing I'm going to put in me or on me or in my mouth or that five, you know, the, the 10 positive affirmations, the whole toxic positivity, you know, I've got 
this big wound and I'm just going to slap on the affirmations. That's not going to work. The work is being able to embrace that, that, that pain, being able to be present with it, being able to recognize there's a past and a future and that you can change the future and all that kind of stuff. So I wanted to thank you for how you really bring that to the table because you can't change without that. People always ask me, but how do you start the change? And you start the change with this presence, this consciousness, this awareness, this self-regulation. And you emphasize that so much in your book. So that I just wanted to really hone in on that point because it's super Thanks. important. And I very intentionally, Caroline, put that consciousness Peace. practice right up at the front. It is the the first intro chapter. Yeah, I see that. Which is work because, in my opinion, it is yeah. foundational. And I share this now because I think very understandably, if you've met my work before, you've heard of inner child work or ego work. I think a lot of times we become attracted to do that work because we know yeah. that. There's some answers in there that we yeah, might yeah. You know, identify our inner child is wounded or my ego is telling all these crazy stories that don't help me. Yet I'm always the person to suggest and acknowledge we can't just go right to dive into that work. No. We don't want to. I don't suggest, you know, we go into chapter whatever that is eight, nine and read the, that work first because it is through the foundation of consciousness that we begin to see how our past is coloring our present. We begin to see, right, all of those old trees, to use your language, for my language, all of the wounding of our inner child and how that continues to color what is happening here and now. And in particular, how we're feeling and then what we're doing as a result of how we're feeling in the here and now. Absolutely. That is so real. That we get to see that. Because another thing that I know that us humans love to do is we like to look for the universal, the five steps is going to help all of us the same. And the reality is we're not the same. We're unique individuals. We lived unique circumstances. So as we become conscious, we can become clear of the areas that we need to create new habits in. So for some of us, that might be around the physical body, acknowledging that the way we're connected or not connected to our bodies and how we're caring for it might be contributing to some of those imbalances or that misalignment that I talked about. A larger majority of us are going to notice that emotionally, we're not really connected to our emotions, or if we are, they're running our show, and we're not able to self-regulate, right? To use, I think, both of our language a little bit. The messy mind versus, yeah. Great chapter on emotional maturity and how to develop that, the ability to have a feeling, process it, and then return back to baseline or to a peaceful state. And again, we can see the habits and patterns that aren't serving us when we build that foundation habit of consciousness first. That's vital. It's so vital what you said that I love how you explained the emotional stuff as well, that we've actually got to, because our mind is think, feel, choose. So everything, and then that produces the thought, and then that produces what we're saying and we're doing. So you can't not look at all the aspects. And I love the fact that how you say that you, you know, you, the emotions are going to show up and you've got to acknowledge them. They're not going to go away. You can't shove them away. You can't push them down. You have to give them space, unpack them, and then get them back to baseline again. I mean, that's beautiful the way you explain that. And these are all not quick fixes. And I know you're familiar with the work and I put it in my book as well, but that that population study that was done, the federal data that showed us that when we hit 2014, the trend of people living longer had reversed and people are dying eight to 25 years younger. And now now we've got the pandemic, which has knocked another year off. So people have this constant message of mental health is on the rise, one in four with depression, one in five with anxiety, pandemic and mental health. There's so much fear. And and, and I want to throw this out at you and see how you, how you feel about this. I don't think that mental health is on the rise. I think the mismanagement of mental health has created a whole new 
problem where we've ignored the story and the narrative and the humanity and we're just trying to lump it in a box, tie it up in a bow, shove it in the corner and say, well, live with that, take your medication, do your CBT, and I want to come to that in a moment as well, as, as opposed to allowing people as humans to express themselves and to process what they're going through. And that, and because if you look at those statistics, they're tracking it back to preventable lifestyle diseases. And what drives lifestyle? Mind. And so if mind is, is, is creating these lifestyle diseases, which are preventable, we have to address how we thinking, feeling, and choosing about these things. We have to do the work. To quote your book, we have to do the work. And you also talk about, and I'm laying this whole foundation for you to just run. You talk about showing up. How we show up is a product of these and these. And very often these, whatever you think about the most, will grow in your brain and your body and your mind. So this, if this has had more tension, this is the huge tree that you're going to show up with. And that's how you look at life versus this. And being present is how you can see this. What am I doing? If you're not present and you just slap on a technique, you're never really going to see how you're showing up because you're kind of using that technique as an avoidance or a distraction or a, a band-aid. So, I mean, I've said a lot then. I know I've stimulated you. So take it away. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I was thinking and I couldn't agree more. I, I, I always wondered, Carolyn, in the field when I was in my training in particular, why there wasn't much we were learning about prevention <laughs> that yeah. were in general, yeah. where those programs were. And don't we have hope that if we intervene at a time earlier that we can mm. save off some of these things? So that was mm. always in the back of my mind as I looked around and continued to see the focus on the treatment or the management I agree of with you. symptoms in particular. And yeah. I or that I think that the more we try to band-aid our symptoms or just approach managing them in, in a way of stuffing them down, the more we do begin to then accumulate the consequences of that. I of agree with living, you. Right. In those much more avoidant ways through all of the ways that we as humans do that. Again, yeah. with the belief that that was the only option for yeah. a very long time in the field. That was my I training. I too believe that my only option was managing my symptoms, right? How yeah. can I my managing symptoms, compensating comfortable enough range though it wasn't comfortable that I could continue to go to work, to have relationships, though they wouldn't feel fulfilling. I didn't feel present, but though I could keep going because I never understood there was actually a conversation around getting better that I could have with myself. And so I agree. I think another aspect of why humans as a collective outside of 2020 and the very unique stressors and fears and insecurities that are coming as a result of this very real collective trauma. Yeah. I continue to watch us as humans live in very unnatural, unnatural ways, societal conditioning. Most of us are living in cities. We're now hooked up to electronics all day long. We have this go, go, go kind of Curry sickness pushed and celebrated. We're living on top of each other. Cities are loud. I mean, I could go on and on. So yeah. I think a combination of all of those factors are really bringing the symptoms that most of us are experiencing to a critical mass. However, I think the beautiful shift that is happening is through people like myself and like you that are beginning to question that and are beginning yeah. to you know, share our own journeys of healing backed by scientific research that is actually saying, no, conversations about wellness, about prevention are absolutely what we should be talking about. We should be understanding, pulling back, right? Seeing our symptoms as the messengers that they are, whether you're listening and you're carrying all of the physical symptoms that sometimes go along with our earliest woundings and, or the psychological ones, if we can understand that they carry a message, not mm, that we're broken, so good. but that, right, we've become disconnected typically to our needs in any or all of those areas. 
So many of us are functioning as adults that are either either in complete denial that we have physical, emotional, and spiritual needs or have no idea how to identify and meet them. And as a result of those conditioned habits and patterns of denying our needs or repressing our needs or avoiding our needs, we're continuing to accumulate all of these problematic ways of being that no longer serve us. Mm, you put that so beautifully and, and you know, I'm so, I, I resonate so much with what you talked about when you, in your training. Like you were trained to just, to, to, there was no prevention. We were, we literally were trained. We were told the words, it's compensation because, you know, at that stage in the eighties, they told the brain, we were told the brain couldn't change. So it was all about compensation. I remember challenging some of my neuroscience professors and the neuroscience was in its infancy in the eighties. And I remember them saying, hey, the mind's always changing. Our experience is always changing. Obviously, if our mind's changing, our brain is changing and we have some sort of level of autonomy. And, you know, they turned around to me and said that that was a ridiculous question. And that really got me going with my research. That's all I needed. Okay, now that's the challenge. You've thrown it. I'm going to. And that's why I went into doing this research. And, and so the compensation is such a, such a hopeless term. But if you could get into, yes, sure, we have to have some strategies for management. And I'm not anti that. And, and that's, you know, that's all part of the, but it's not that where we start. It's where we start is to actually have the conversations to embrace and to process and, and which you, you know, you teach all the time in your work and being authentic and having the conversations. And 40 years, I've watched this for 40 years, this trajectory of things changing. And now we sit 40 years later and everyone's going, oh, why are people dying younger from preventable lifestyle diseases? Meanwhile, we live in, we live with technology. We hurry sickness. We eating junk food. We, you know, all the advances, we thought that we could just keep doing that and not pay the price. So now, as you say, we're trying to change that. You've got to change how you do your life and your lifestyle. So I'm great, so grateful that your book is out there, that people can actually see how to do the work. One of the things that that, that I don't even want to say more about that before we transition. Do you want to say any more about? No, I was just I was just smiling and resonating, and I have a very similar <laughs> story of my go, own go. experience in grad school. Just really quickly, where I when I met that quote about the moment, and I met mindfulness. Yeah. Really fascinated, and I was doing a lot of training, working with individuals in substance use facilities and different aspects of treatment facilities. And I happened to have a professor at my PhD program who studied substance abuse in particular, namely boredom and its role in in activating, triggering relapse. So long story short, I had the brilliant idea that I wanted to study how mindfulness could prevent relapse around mindfulness, um, around boredom in particular with this idea of present in the moment, my boredom comes down, right? And then I don't pick up the substance that I was using to distract myself. Very good. Yeah. Long story short, I presented this whole idea to that particular professor and I was, the door was shut on my face. I was told that there was no utility in the practice of mindfulness. Oh gosh. This was in the 2010s-ish. I mean, that's at the time. So mind-blowing to think of that. Oh, so gosh. I shifted my dissertation topic and studied something else. And obviously here I am full circle. To say, <laughs> Doing <"No>, that. <laughs> there was something important there. And so I just... Hearing, I feel validated, I guess, when I hear your own struggles, your own pings that you were experiencing in school, yeah. because again, I, I imagine we're not alone. I'm connecting no. with many professionals around the world who have shifted their own practice, who have felt those same pings that, wait a minute, this isn't the full story. But I just yeah. wanted to share that because, you know, I, I do understand what that was now. That was my intuition, like on yeah. the picking up on the fact that, wait a minute, we can begin to start to talk about intervening to change. And those of you who are listening, you know, a lot of us are already living in that stuck way. Yeah. And now we know the brain can change at any age. So it is through lifestyle changes, like we're talking about, integrating new ways of being, embodying ourselves and our needs in a new way on the daily 
that actually does create change all the way down to our physiology. Oh, that's, that's brilliant. That's amazing. A woman's journey from pregnancy to postpartum may be challenging and possibly tough to prepare for. Postpartum is one of the most nutritionally demanding stages for many women, and yet it's often one of the most overlooked. After giving birth, mothers may be pulled in every direction, possibly forgetting to prioritize themselves. Introducing Ritual's newest member, Essential Postnatal, with the arrival of a mother's new nutrient needs postpartum. I love how everything Ritual makes is backed with science, and they are a brand you can trust. Since Essential Prenatal is designed for mothers postpartum, it's only fitting it's also formulated with iron and iodine, which are key nutrients that help support lactation. Essential Postnatal is vegan-friendly, non-GMO, sugar-free, free of major allergens, and formulated without artificial colors or preservatives. A mother doesn't always put her needs first, but Ritual does. That's why they're offering my listeners 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com forward slash Dr. Lee to start Essential Postnatal today. The link and offer details will also be in the show notes. I wanted to transition to the addiction thing and you brought that up. So I'm so glad you did. But before we do, or which order, which would work for you? I'd love to talk about addiction and just how you see it. And I'd also love to give the listeners a little bit of practical sort of application. So, and then I also want to talk about things like CBT because I know that you and I both have the same kind of philosophy around things like that. And because a lot of people want to know, okay, there's psychotherapy, there's CBT, there's, there's so many different modalities. And, you know, you and I come with a more holistic approach and, and people want to know how to fit that in. So those are the three directions I'd love to go in. And I mean, there's a million more, but those probably that's all we're going to have time for. So which, what works for you to handle that in the most efficient way? So addiction. I'm going to start with CBT wrap into okay. how that connects to addiction and end with some practical. Love so it. take it away. The issue that I take with CBT, and I think a lot of us do who have ever heard of affirmation work or mantra work or this idea, just change your thoughts and you'll feel better and behave differently. I think a lot of us can uni- universally acknowledge that it might not have been as successful or as easy as that. Mm-hmm. And of course, in the field, that is the gold standard. That is, yeah, I mean, it I is. tell you, I was videotaped doing CBT. I was assessed on all of the ways that, you know, I was doing it and following the book and protocol. So I know how to do CBT. Yeah. Yet again, I continue to watch my clients struggle with creating change. I obviously try to use some CBT techniques on myself and I continue to watch myself struggle to create change. And again, reason being we're connected to a body, right? We have essence. And if we're not tuning into our needs in those areas, we are usually living in a state of imbalance that is sending the same signals of imbalance right up to our brain, to our minds and keeping us stuck in those cycles of dysregulation. So if we apply that even to substance use, sometimes we have the idea that you know, can't you see if, if anyone who knows people, as a lot of us do, who have struggled in any type of addiction, it isn't logical, right? No amount of hitting bottom for some of us can, you know, motivate us to create change. We can't just think a couple thoughts or reframe, oh, next time I think this, I'll think this, and then I won't want to yeah. pick up. That actually doesn't not, doesn't work, the work. conditioning. Mm-mm. And again, because for the same reason, those of us that become addicted or begin to utilize a substance, I see that as a byproduct. Yeah. Again, unmet needs, right? Emotional dysregulation, substance becomes, in my opinion, our attempt at self-regulating. It becomes an immediate or a short-term solution. I can feel better now with, of course, very long-term consequences for Mm -hmm. our entire world. So, and I've worked in the addiction field 
from the very earliest part, my first, I had two people come into my very first class in grad school asking if there any there was ever, if anyone wanted to volunteer for a clinical opportunity. That's how it was offered. And my hand shot up because it was the first time I could do something clinically because now I was enrolled in school. So yeah, you could do it. I was allowed to speak to someone in a clinical way. So yeah. I, outside of the suicide hotline that I worked at when yeah. I was an undergrad. So now I wanted to do some actual one-on-one or it turned out it was group work. So I raised my hand, long story short, I got connected to this organization and it happened to be one running groups at an outpatient substance abuse treatment center. And I ran an anger management group for parolees who were mandated to anger management. So here I was 22 years old being thrown <laughs> in this group. And I also- wow ran a women's process group to help women self-regulate their emotions with the hopes of obviously giving them some tools to begin to break the habit of using substances. So really near and dear to the work, the work of addiction. I, up until I stopped practicing in Philly, I was still running groups at an outpatient treatment center because I find again, addiction isn't about the drug. It's about all of the dysregulation that lives in those individuals that the drug just becomes their best attempt at coping. So the holistic model of healing couldn't apply more to those that are addicted to substances, even sharing my story. While I wouldn't have considered myself addicted, the second I met alcohol when I was 13 and marijuana when I was 13, that for me was was my moment. That was what I would ingest then when I would go out and party with my friends. That was my my external spaceship, I call it. Yeah. Yeah. I had been dissociating and distracting myself internally unbeknownst to me. And now I discovered this great thing I could ingest and just check out for a minute. And so I did. So I can even resonate with the lived experience of using something external to feel better emotionally or to attempt to regulate myself emotionally. So when we're talking about addiction, I think this, this work applies holistic wellness I do believe wellness is possible. I don't think addiction is connected to chips in the brain. No. <laughs> That's the brain of an addict, if you will, quote unquote, yeah. will shift and change and you will see exactly. changes, though not as the origin of the addiction, again, as the, as the result of it. So the work applies, like I said, to anyone out there struggling with using substances. At this point, Carolyn, I would go as far to say, for some of us, this is going to become the self oh yeah oh right? really? oh yeah another function of addiction yeah totally. some of us our thoughts are addicting if i just spend time in my world in my internal world i can be that's distracted it. i can feel some kind of way that's comfortable or familiar so we can become addicted in to anything anything and again, exactly the way out is through the work so the practical mm-hmm. tips could I, could I just interject one second there? Because you've said such profound things and I want to make sure people have got it. That addiction is not a disease in your brain waiting to jump out. It's not some weakness that you've inherited or some neurobiological correlate that you happen to be stuck with. And now if you're exposed to some kind of thing like alcohol or porn or drugs or whatever, oh, well, you are a victim of that and you can't help it and that's your life. And that's the message that we're getting in today's world. For the last 40 years, that has been the message that has built up. And it's this disease that you can't control you just have to live with it that is not what nicole's saying not what i'm saying addiction if you hear very clearly is actually a form of distraction to try and cope with the pain of what you're facing which is just so hard and as you said you use the marijuana and the, and the alcohol at the age of 13 to try and get away from this pain of your story and of what was it what it was doing to you but it wasn't and there's also the the research that shows that 86 to 93 percent of people with so-called like extreme dis- addiction get out of addiction not through get out of it completely through choice 
So in other words, it's, you know, and, and the choice is not, doesn't mean that, oh, I can't choose. There's something wrong with me. It is the choice to become present, to do the work, to embrace process and reconceptualize because until these are gone, these are the things that we're trying to hide with the addiction. So sorry, I just wanted to say that because I wanted uh-huh. to, to really, and then what you said about CBT as well, you said that so beautifully that when we talk about, when Nicole and I both talk about detoxing thoughts in our own different ways, you know, getting unstuck. We're not just, CBT is kind of like saying, okay, well, here's this thing and we're going to just condition it to this. You mustn't think this, you must think this. And then there's all these like things to get from there to there, but this is never, you never get rid of this. So until this is there, this is gone and and it's not not like gone, it actually is reconceptualized because you can never obliterate your story. So the, the, the attempt to try and numb this or obliterate this is never going to work. You have to actually take this and deconstruct it and reconstruct it so it becomes part of this. So the way I see CBT and see if this, if this works for you, Nicole, you get X plus Y, okay? There's X plus Y. CBT is trying to say, okay, well, ignore those and just make Z. Yeah. But that's never going to work. What you have to do is say X plus Y equals XY. Here's XY. The light leaves and the dark leaves. I've now reconceptualized, reconceptualized and reconstructed. So now I can go forward knowing, what do you think you're doing, Nicole? You with your story, I've got my story. We're going forward and our stories continue to grow because we have acute traumas. We have events and circumstances. We That's life. All of us are going to still have trauma of some sort that we've got to reconceptualize as opposed to just trying to make the white bear effect. I'm not going to think about that anymore. Then you're going to think about it all the time sort of things. So I just want to do, say thank you for saying that and just hammer that point and I'm sure people get that because it's very freeing and very hopeful your book is filled with hope doing the work is hope 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 and hands on practical hope beautiful book I'm so glad to hear that that it that it resonates in that way with you and and it is about integrating you know our our story our life and you know those of us that are sharing it then empowering ourselves to share yeah. even just with one other human in our personal exactly. world exactly not necessarily shouting it from the rafters as you and I do no it is about embracing our story yeah um, but you get asked a lot you know do I get to erase my trauma what is healing does it go away entirely. Yeah, my answer is always some version of not necessarily we learn how to integrate it and we learn so to shift into the practical to create. I love that you've already offered this word, Carolyn. So thank you. Choice. We learn how to gift ourselves with choice in each moment. Choice to see the past and how it's trying, right? How those old, right? Those old trees and the toxic thoughts are, are attempting to be there, are attempting to be the point from which we're reacting and gifting ourselves, as I say, expanding, creating that space, as you beautifully said, to begin to make new choices, to begin to practice perhaps new thoughts, new ways of embodying our being, new ways of perhaps meeting, acknowledging, and then meeting our needs. And it's through the creation of choice. And how do we get to choice? We practice consciousness. We practice being present to the moment. We practice being aware, like you said, of what's going on in our mind, seeing all of the past as it's firing up at the ready, as it often is, as it still is for me. Yeah. Oftentimes, especially the chorus of wounds, the things that really activate me still are ready to be offered. Those toxic trees are still somewhat there, yet we can expand into that choice again through the practice of consciousness understanding, witnessing all of the ways we're not conscious, all of the ways we're living from that autopilot, as I say it, or from those toxic trees, as you say it, and then beginning to expand into that space and to show up presently, to show up in the moment and to begin to make the new choices that will better serve us. That's how we create the pathway Mm. toward a future that's different. How we, as the third byline of my book, how to do the work, recognize your patterns, heal 
from mm-hmm. your past because you can and create yourself or your beautiful. future self, as I call beautiful. it. So beautiful. That's just so, it's so hopeful because it's when you talk about that, our past is there to to. To, for us to reconceptualize. That's why I always use the word reconceptualize. And you're talking about, I mean, the language, it's just be saying the same thing. I say embrace, process, reconceptualize, getting aware, getting the awareness, gather awareness. Nicole and I are both bringing the same concepts to the table. Both of us have grown up in, or grown up, I should say, trained up in very traditional <laughs> method. And I'm all much older than you, but still, you, you still fell in the trajectory timeline where you, even as you said, in 2010, you were challenged by that professor. So it's taking, thank, this is where technology is great. This is where people like yourself with your experience and your knowledge of going through the system and breaking away from it and seeing it in a more holistic way, how you've got a voice to reach millions of people to be able to help set them free. Because it's so hopeful. It's taking away everything that is you can't control and you're saying to everyone you've got agency. And that's one of the things I showed in my research that the pathway to empowerment starts with agency. It's st- and agency starts with awareness showing up in the consciousness. So thank you for saying that. So you're going to take us to some practical how-tos or what? where would you like to go from here? Of course, of course. And, and yeah, so agency is so important to cultivate because again, we become so disempowered. We become so reactive. We begin to you know, wonder if there is a pathway out. And I know, you know, just again, speaking from my own lived experience as a fellow human being, there is no better teacher than the wisdom of making change, of creating mm, love it. change in your life. I'm off a big advocate of creating change through what I call small daily promises, making the commitment or setting the intention to just create one new choice anywhere in our day. I always emphasize, overemphasize even at times that the small aspect of it acknowledging that we are wired to stay in those familiar patterns. Those toxic thought trees are powerful. And the further we step away from it, entertaining new thoughts, new, new feelings, new actions, we experience resistance. We experience that very familiar pull, the homeostatic impulse, the desire mm-hmm. that evolutionarily we yeah. all are kind of wrapped up Survival. in mm-hmm. to stay in those ruts. So practically, we could apply this small daily promise suggestion to the habit of creating conscious awareness, making the commitment not to be conscious throughout the, your entire day, 24 hours, because yeah. I'm going to let you in on something. You're not going to be able to. If you're so used to living from that autopilot, your brain is not used to firing from the very present you know, prefrontal cortex where consciousness lives and all of the different brain waves. And like you've very beautifully shown in your book, the way the brain functions when we're in those toxic thought trees is compromised. It is different. Yeah. So, Setting an intention, perhaps build one moment of consciousness into your day using maybe this technology that I did say we have to be aware of how it affects us. To manage it, yeah. (laughs) Setting maybe an alarm for some random time that you'll probably forget during your waking day. And when that alarm goes off on your phone, doing first a check-in with where your attention is. Where were you? Were you lost in thought? right? Were you rehashing the argument you had with your partner that morning? Were you rehearsing what you're going to tell your boss in the next hour at the next meeting to get out of that project? Or were you fully present to the moment at hand, to the now, the consciousness? And when chances are you were not as fully present as you could be, we want to begin to teach ourselves through that one small daily promise in that one Mm -hmm. moment, how to become conscious. We can use our breath as our attentional anchor, focusing beginning to flex our muscle of attention because here's another area where we actually do have choice. Mm-hmm. Though most of us aren't used to making the choice. Our attention is grabbed in all of the which ways around us as opposed to us consciously 
deliberately saying, this is where I want to focus my attention. So we can use our breath because chances are if we're alive, we're breathing in that moment (laughs) as our hook in that moment. And if we become aware of the action of breathing, the in-breath, the out-breath, now I'm in my body and I'm fully, I'm a bit more fully receptive to the present moment. So to build a foundational habit of consciousness, we want to begin to practice many more of those moments, though the pathway to many of those moments begins with one small daily promise. So set that alarm, do your consciousness check-in. If you're like most of us and your attention is nowhere to be found, begin that muscle training, begin to refocus the attention through the breath on the here and now, and give yourself the gift over time as it will translate to, to choice in that moment where you don't have to just react as you always did. You can begin to pepper in new choices to navigate life in that moment. Oh, that's beautiful. Just, I love that. Thank you so much. And just for, and I resonate with everything you said. It's just like, so I'm seeing all the science as you're talking. I'm seeing all the, all the things, great things that are happening in one's brain when you do that. Sometimes it feels like there is nothing more stressful than paying full price for something you could have gotten a great discount for, which is why I love the free browser extension, Honey. Honey scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best one it finds to your cart and can help you save lots of time and money, which certainly puts my mind at ease. It's no surprise that Honey has found its over 17 million members, over $2 billion in savings. I love that Honey is free to download and use and that they never sell your shopping data. Honey only gets commissions on partnerships with major trusted retailers and it's super easy to use. Imagine you're shopping on one of your favorite sites. When you check out, the Honey button drops down and all you have to do is click Apply Coupons. Wait a few seconds as Honey searches for coupons it can find for the site. If Honey finds a working coupon, you'll watch the prices drop. I personally just bought a really great blender for my all-brain-boosting smoothies and save over $50 with my Honey extension. If you don't already have Honey, you could be straight up missing out on free savings. It's literally free and installs in just a few seconds. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting this podcast. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash drleaf. That's joinhoney.com slash drleaf. The link will be in the show notes. Just for those listeners that, that my, my community, this one daily promise is literally your active reach, step five of the neurocycle, where you've got to do something during the course of the day. And I actually say to set an active reach reminder in my neurocycle app, where it's got to pop up and remind you to do that. And if you do that seven times a day, there's a, there's a key shift. If you do it at least seven times a day, that shifts the brain over into, it kind of is, an, it's enough. It's, it's, a, it's kind of like a magic number that starts pulling energy from this that we're trying to fix and giving it to this one that we're trying to grow as our reconceptualized version. So that daily promise is just absolutely beautiful. That showing up, that daily promise, it's phenomenal. I love it. I want to just quickly ask you one more question. Do you have time for one more question? Absolutely. I mean, I could ask you a million. We could talk all day. And and I'm just quickly going to, but this is just such a beautiful one. You talk, you do, you've spoken about this a lot. I'm just reading from the question that I wrote here. In the beginning of the book, you mentioned feeling stuck and how this makes the patient feel hopeless. And I know we've discussed this, but I want to talk about it a little bit more and that they can actually change. I mean, they're, they're hopeless that they can't, they can't change and that leads, leads to shame and despair. And I know, as I said, I know we've touched on this, but I think this is important because it hinders so many people from change. I know you've touched on it, but I want us to talk a little bit more because that 
that's something that comes up so often when I do lives and in DMs is people that feeling of the, the shame, the despair and feeling hopeless. Those things kind of really go together. And when you hear this from someone like a DM or a pay, when you used to practice and a family member, how do you, what do you do? What do you do? What would you say? And I, and I know you've covered it, but let's get some practical stuff here and take it away. Explain a little bit. Give us some. I appreciate you, you pulling back us to this because I think that is for, for a lot of us that, that big initial hurdle, that feeling of hopelessness, that belief, right? That in our, in our inherent damage or, or lack of worthiness for whatever it is that we want. And I think it does keep many of us stuck. So the first thing that I would offer, which I think can be healing in and of itself for some of us, and it's the large reason why I'm always talking about our body, our physiology, you know, all of the different interacting factors in our physical, emotional, and spiritual selves that exactly. are contributing to the stock is because for some of us, that reframe is the relief we need. Hearing from someone else, right? And then settling into that belief within ourselves that actually we're not, we're not damaged. My body is responding as it was you know, wired to respond or my emotions, you know, are, are as they are based on experiences that I, I know I had traumas that are stuck in my, down to my cells and my body and the way my nervous system yeah, is right active in, in, or hypoactive, right. In any direction. So for some of us, that suggestion, that offering is the relief, is the healing, is the mm. ability to say, oh, okay, I can now shift from this belief of brokenness. I have a reason. So like when we were speaking earlier, for some of us, the initial diagnosis is relieving. Oh, okay, yes. the thing that this is, there's a reason I'm not broken. So that would be the first thing that I would offer. And I do offer all of the listeners here today for those that just need to hear that and just need to sit with that. And because for, for, for a lot of us, that is where the relief from that shame comes. For the other majority of us, of course, it is the action, it is the action of empowering ourselves through the practice of making and keeping those small daily promises, through making new choices around our lifestyle, through changing the way our actual brains, to speak to your work, are structured, through creating that empowerment. So for a, a large majority of us, it is both of those steps. The latter, of course, is the process, the process of making and keeping those promises the building of that basis of foundational consciousness, of course, though I would offer both of those things because relief can come when we can lose the label of I'm damaged or I can't, opening the door for some of us for the hope that then we can begin to march through through these small daily actions. Beautiful. I love that answer. And that is essentially, for those of you that know my work, that's essentially going to be at least a 63-day process. And very often that first, that I love how you say the first offering is to actually see yourself not as broken, but to actually see, you know, you may have thought about that, but to have that statement, that other statement, no, you're not broken. No, you're not shame. So that's where it begins. And it, you may not believe it at first. In fact, you probably won't because this is so established and so dominant. But to have, to have the hope that as you daily, with the, the work, as you say, doing the work of the daily, as you hit the different time points brain-wise at 21 days, you would start, you'll start believing it. And by day 63, you'll start applying it in your life. And to know that there's actually time attached to that work kind of gives us hope. And first, maybe people in our quick fix society, oh, I want it to be done now. <laughs> no, not going to happen. Do the work, as Nicole says. And at least you know that there's a time frame attached. At least you know within this amount of time, these are the changes that are happening in your brain. So it's, it's, I love it. Start with that. Your very first day, day one is like, you are not shame. You are not broken. Whatever that 
to find that statement. And sometimes, as you said, someone else from the outside might have to give it to you. You may not be able to give it to you yourself. And then from there, doing the work. Beautiful. I love that. That's incredible. Nicole, your work is just phenomenal. I mean, you talk about the relationship of spiritual, psychological. I'm just reading some of my other questions, that whole holistic approach. I can't agree with it more. I always talk about, as you know, the mind, brain, and the mind is the spiritual part of us. And the brain is this physical. And the brain is reliant on the spiritual. And you, with your book, just give us so much hope and insight into realizing we do have agency over that spiritual part of us, the mind part, and we can do the change and there's going to be the effect, but it takes work. Thank you for what you do. It's incredible. Do you want to ask any, offer any last pearls of wisdom? This is not the end of the conversation. You've got to come back. We've got to continue our discussion. And I promise everyone who's listening, you will. You'll hear more from Nicole and from us together. Any last pearls of wisdom? And then also, where can people get the book and where can they get hold of you? And we'll obviously put all the links in the show notes. I want to offer, I think, to end on gratitude um, for each and every one of you out there listening, because I know even the challenge of hearing some of these new ideas that you and I speak so readily about is challenging. It does, for many of us, counter many of ingrained beliefs that we've been operating on that we see reflected in our communities and even in society um, at large. So I really honor every human who shows up to hear myself, to hear you. I love the fact, honestly, that we both have new books out there because I see them as just, you know, kind of in tandem. Hold up yours. Hold up yours. Hold it I up again. The yeah, there you go. You really give, you know, very These- similar to I, you give the science and I love being able to map on like here is brain change. Here is what it looks like through your book. So I just love that we both have this out there in the world. And at the same time, within a week of each other, our books release. So guys, that's, that's yeah. a message from the universe, guys. You I need to get so. the two together because it, like, it, it's totally enhancing. I believe so. I believe so. And like I said, I just am so grateful for, for people like yourself who have paved way for, you know, and, and empowered me to, to step into these truths because there was a lot of disbelief in me. There was a lot of fear in me when I first began to share this from the holistic psychologist platform around my field and what would people think? And am I going to be labeled the crazy person who's talking about the body? Am I going to be labeled the crazy person who's acknowledging the spirit, the essence? And overwhelmingly, the answer is no. So you've paved the way and I am so appreciative. And like I said, everyone out there listening, know that the change that you're going to create in your life is going to go so far beyond your life. And also know that wherever you are in your healing journey right now is where you're meant to be. And appreciating yourselves as I am now for even listening, hitting, hitting play on this recording here, because I know some of this is challenging. Yeah. Let's go up against the way we've been living for so long, though. If either of us, you or I, Carolyn, can be that little glimmer of hope and can give someone the the roadmap on how to begin to create change, then I, I believe at least I've done my work here. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you for saying that. And you just a phenomenal inspiration, how you've just grabbed these concepts and laid out there in the most humble and profound way. And you've opened a whole new world to people. So thank you for how you touch people's lives. And it's an honor knowing you. It's an honor calling you my friend. And I'm excited to do stuff together in the future to help more people get set free. You know, we enhance each other. There's one of my favorite quantum physicists who talks about the fact that it's not about you, it's about you in the world. And when you think about waves coming together in the sea, they either can cancel each other out or they can in, you know, grow and get bigger and, and enhance each other. That's how I see us working 
you know, together to help the world. We want to enhance you. It's not competition. It's We just want to help you. We just want to enhance your life so that you have mental peace. So thank you for listening to Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess today. Thank you, Nicole, for being part of this and for sharing your journey and your story. We didn't even get to the details of your story, but you gave us so much insight and practical advice. But guys, get the book. And Would you mind holding it up again, Nicole? Thank you so much. That's You've got to get this book. It's essential to understanding that doing the work and it's okay and wherever you're at, this is the journey and it's going to be okay. Nicole, thank you so much for joining me today and thank you everyone for joining Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. See you next week. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com. And to sign up for my weekly newsletter, where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.